Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for guest speaker, Pastor Kevin Edwards from Calvary Chapel, Clayton, with 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And I'm excited to be here as I am an Eastern North Carolina boy, born and uh, raised in Northampton County. So you take 158 West back through Dismal Swamp, other side of Mumfordsboro, farm country. And um, so I feel at home. And my wife and I, my, um, she's with the Lord now in heaven, Lisa, but we, we used to date at Greenbrier Mall in Chesapeake. <laughs> so we used to hang out a lot in Norfolk and Virginia Beach. And so uh, the movie's there. Uh, been there many times. There's actually a uh, dinner theater in there as well that we used to go to. So y'all enjoy that on Wednesday night. We're going to actually see the movie. Uh, the Clayton Group is going to be uh, at a theater in Garner on Tuesday night, I believe. So wonderful, wonderful. So I'm happy to be here. I hope you are. Um, if you need a Bible, um, hopefully you brought one. If not, hopefully they'll give you one if you raise your hand. Um, you need to have one. Pastor John, thank you for welcoming me. I, I love you and um, and then John and Heidi for the conference, which was wonderful. This is the third conference I think we participated in with you all, and that was a, just a blessing. So, uh, wonderful, wonderful weekend. Um, you can turn to First Peter chapter one, and as a country boy, as you're turning there as a country boy, you know, um, growing up, there were a lot of times in some of the the country churches where. I hear stories about how they would pick their, their pastors or their preachers. And uh, often it would be very different than the way we at Calvary Chapel may would do that. Um, in fact, I heard a, an older preacher tell the story of a young minister interviewing for his first pastorate. The pulpit committee had invited him over to the church for an interview. And so the chairman asked him, he said, son, do you know your Bible pretty good? And the young minister said, yes, pretty good. So the chairman asked, what part do you know best? And he responded, I know the New Testament best. Well, which part of the New Testament do you know best? Asked the chairman. And the young minister said, well, several parts. So the chairman said, well, why don't you tell us the story of the prodigal son? And so the young man said, well, fine. And so he said, well, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and fell upon stony ground and the thorns choked him half to death. And the next morning, Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by and carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of. <laughs> but as he was going through the eastern gate to the ark, he caught his hair on a limb and hung there three, for 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he did hunger and the ravens came and fed him. The next day, three wise men came and carried him down. <laughs> To the boat dock and he caught a ship to Nineveh and when he got there he found Delilah sitting on the wall and and so he said well, well chuck her down boys chuck her down and they said well how many times should we chuck her down till to seven times and he said nay but 70 times seven so they chucked her down 490 times and she burst asunder in their midst and they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers, and in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? <laughs> and the committee chairman interrupted the young minister and, and, and said to the remainder of the committee, fellas, I think we ought to ask the church to call him to be our minister. <laughs> 
It, it sounds funny and it's exaggerated, obviously, but I think there are probably a lot of places, at least where I'm from in the country, where uh, men get called who don't know truth. And we see that the result of not knowing truth is impacting our country, it's impacting the church today. Um, as many churches, because they're not founded on the truth, are being moved in different directions. You know, the apostles, they, they were always concerned that believers would know the truth. We know that. This is why Paul, uh, Paul the apostle, oftentimes would say things like this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant because Paul's desire is that the church would be wise and understand things concerning the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives. Or, or maybe in another place where he says, well, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as, as those who have no hope. In other words, Paul wanted the Thessalonians to be very knowledgeable about the Lord's concern for the church and his plans for our eternity and how he was going to work those things out. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, we find that Paul, uh, and I'm sorry I don't have these verses, but hopefully you're taking notes, but Paul prayed for the church and what he said was that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's extremely important to the apostles and, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, would be filled with the knowledge of him and his plans for us and that we would know and understand his word. And not only that, how that would then impact what we would do with that during the time that we live here. And this is why even Peter said, after talking about the, 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 the day of the Lord in 2 Peter 3, verse 11, he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, meaning God will destroy the current earth we know with judgment, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. People are so worried about the end times and what's about to happen and all the things that are going on, China, Russia, and all of these various things. If we believe scripture, how should that then impact how we live before God and before those who are watching our lives? Paul said to the Colossians, he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above. And so in looking and thinking about all of these things, it's extremely important that we, the body of Christ, know scripture. We have our uh, solid understanding and biblical truths and that that would drive the very hope that we have and that we live in. And so I would call the today's message in first Peter chapter one, the blessed hope. Some of you from Clayton may have heard me teach on this before. And so with that said, let's read and then we'll pray. First Peter chapter one, I'm going to cover verses three through Nine, but for context, let's read verses one through nine. If you're there with me, please say amen. amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
And you, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, as you've met us here throughout this weekend, those who have just joined us this morning, Lord God, you've drawn us into this place. And we know that that, that is not even something that we do on our own accord, Lord, but by your sovereignty, by your eternal plan and love for us, you have drawn us into this place this morning. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be able to focus completely on what you would say from your word, taking away all the things that would distract or hinder us. Lord, let us hear what you would say by your spirit. Let us be open and let us receive it by your spirit, Lord God. We surrender to you. Uh, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're going to look at a living hope in verse 3, a heavenly inheritance in verse 4. And our eternal security in verses 5 through 9 as we dive into this. Verse 3, as you look at it with me again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope and is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In this whole section, I would encourage you, this is memory verse stuff. This flows so well. Verses 3 through 9 should be something that you just absolutely memorize and just let it bless you day in and day out. I love these verses. And, and as we look at a living hope, which is embedded in it, um, in my opinion, a living hope is the source of what Peter is getting at. And I want you to notice the first thing is that a living hope invokes praise. Look at it again. It's like Peter just breaks out in spontaneous praise where he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I used to watch my grandfather do this. He was our, our pastor growing up and he would just break out in spontaneous praise in the weirdest time. And if you ever listen to Pastor Chuck teach and at the end he starts singing, my grandfather was just like that all off key and he just I mean we'd be walking you know, we, I grew up on a farm and he just he just break out singing praise to the Lord and when somebody does that it's because of something that they have experienced with the Lord and the Holy Spirit just reminds them of how powerful he is and how good he is and they break out in spontaneous praise which is exactly what Peter just did blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as he thinks about this living hope and all that's been secured for us in eternity but when we think about blessed be uh, is, is translated from a Greek word of which we get the, the, the English word eulogize from. And it, it means to praise. It means to to celebrate with words of praise. In fact, that's what eulogy means at a funeral. Um, we, somebody's going to give a eulogy. Anybody here ever had to give a eulogy for a family member? Okay. And, and it's in that eulogy that you want to speak highly of them. You want to talk about the wonderful things and the amazing things that that person might have done and how God worked through their lives. And it's difficult sometimes at funerals because people lie when they give the eulogy <laughs> because they couldn't find anything. So they start making up stuff. <laughs> 
Uh, but when it comes to the Lord, we don't have to make anything up. And so Peter is eulogizing, if you will. He breaks out in spontaneous praise for the Lord because of what he has done and because of all that he has in store for us. The Bible says, I has not seen nor has ear heard or nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for us. I can't even imagine heaven. I know it just became more real to me because my wife just went there. But it's just uh, to me, Paul says he heard things that were unlawful to even try to repeat. In other words, the things that he's already secured for us, as well as what we're going to see, are out of this world. And when we as believers who have the spirit in us begin to dwell on those things, it's overwhelming and it makes you break out. And, and, and just spontaneous praise. Now my kids are looking at me because I just break out in spontaneous praise and I start singing. And see, when you get older, you don't even care how you sound. <laughs> Jesus is so good, you ain't got to like my singing because he's worthy of my praise. And I'm just going to break out when I get that sense of, hey, God, you're good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And my kids are like, Dad, you OK? I'm like, I'm absolutely OK. Everything's perfect. And I just break out in praise. And that's what Peter's doing here. So bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we often call worship is actually just praise. Which is what we do with our lips, speaking highly to God, to him and to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Pastor John, I think that's the, or you just finished that chapter. It says, and do not be drunk with wine. Y'all know these verses, which is dissipation. And it says, but be filled with the spirit. Notice speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 5 says, uh, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In other words, we are blessing him day in and day out by just praising him because of who he is and what he's done. And we are a peculiar people. The Christians are weird because we do this. Because of who he is, we should be praising him. You know, we, we go to church now and worship has become this sterile thing where we just stand there and we look at, a, a, at words. Um, and there's a lot of times not much going on. But the reality is open your mouth and praise the God who sent his son and the son who hung on the cross for six hours and the Holy Spirit, which has filled us and is now speaking to us on a daily basis. Let us praise him as often as we can. Notice as we go into this, it says, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according notice to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. I love that. According to his abundant mercy. In other words, this, this living hope invokes praise. It humbles us. And Peter recognizes God's mercy. We talk a lot about grace. Grace is good. We've been saved by grace through faith. We know that. Um, but mercy precedes grace. Mercy generally means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to help them. And, and this is good because I was miserable and afflicted with sin, having no hope before God shed mercy on me. Amen? Amen. And it's through his mercy I now have this living hope. It was mercy and clemency of God in providing an offering uh, for men in the person of Jesus Christ that we may have salvation. Because of God's mercy, we did not receive what we deserve 
which is hell and eternal separation from God, which the Bible says is full of torment and pain for all eternity. And for those who have rejected, refused to receive the love of the truth, this is what they are eternally destined to receive. But for us, we have obtained mercy and we have obtained eternal life through God. Amen. Amen. And so God is always a merciful, merciful. Even even Jonah was concerned about this. Jonah says, I knew you would be merciful. He was <laughs> upset when God forgave those of Nineveh. And so the Bible, the Bible is clear that he is abundant. His mercies are, are new every morning. I'm thankful for his mercy because of his mercy. I can stand and I can move forward. And he is gracious and merciful towards me. Even when I fall short, he is faithful to forgive me, to cleanse me, to fill me, and to renew me, and I keep going. And so according to his abundant mercy, notice what he says next, that he has begotten us, notice, he has begotten us again to a living hope. I love this word, begotten, because it's the word that really means to be born again. It really means that God has produced again or he has born us anew is what the word means. And this is necessary. We know this because Adam sinned and when he sinned, he died. And thus the Bible says that all were born dead and hopelessly lost with no way back to God. Ephesians 2 verse 12 says that in uh, that at the, uh, that time you were without Christ being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promises, having no hope without God in the world. The Bible says that we were dead in sins and trespasses. We know this. Amen. And so therefore he had to begotten us, if you will, or to beget us or we were born again by the spirit of God. It was Jesus that said, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot even see or perceive the kingdom of heaven. And so this begotten is meaning that we have been born to life through the spirit of God. And now we are alive to him. And notice this is, listen. So he has begotten us again and to look a living hope. So because we are now born again with that salvation is a hope that is alive. A hope that is eternal. A hope that is literally out of this world. Living speaks of something that is receiving nourishment. It's, it's producing fruit. There is a hope that is embedded deep within the heart, listen, of every believer, even if he or she doesn't fully understand it. It's a hope is that this expectation of something that is coming, something that we're longing for. As a believer, we have a joyful and confident expectation for eternal life. The Bible says that we groan within ourselves waiting for something. The earth is even groaning. This is what the scripture tells us. So as soon as you are born again, you don't even have a clear understanding of eschatology yet, yet there's something in you that longs for eternity. And it's the living hope that's been placed within us. And it's this hope that comforts us. Paul said to the Thessalonians, comfort yourself with these. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we grieve with a hope. Therefore, comfort yourself with these words. What words? That the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ would rise first. We who are alive will be caught up to meet them in the air. And then we will forever be with the Lord. Now comfort yourself with these things. In other words, because we have been born again, because this new hope, living hope has been produced on the inside of us, we live differently than anybody else in the world. We are called to live differently because of this thing that God has secured for us. And it is wonderful. It is wonderful to have that hope. That hope frees me. 
it should free you. Like that hope, we don't even fear death anymore. That's why we're so peculiar. You go to, you look at Christians and, and Christians are celebrating at funerals. That's weird stuff. <laughs> Makes no sense to the world. How can we look beyond the grave so easily because of this, we've been born of the spirit and the spirit is in us and he's producing that hope that is out of this world and we're confident, we're expecting something to happen. In fact, it's this hope that produces healthy Christian living. And I want to share a few things with you really quick. I would ask you to write these down since we don't have them on the screen, but I want to talk a little bit about this living hope and what it does. Um, what is the hope? I'm just going to give it to you from scripture. We understand it now, but here it is from, from Titus chapter 2 verse 13, looking unto the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I love that. Titus 2.13, in case you don't have it, write it down and look at it later, later. But looking for the blessed hope, he calls it, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. If you study Greek, there's a Granville Sharp rule that implies the fact that the, 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 the description of what's being said is speaking of Christ. Christ is our great God and Savior because Christ is God. Amen. Amen. So our hope, listen, this blessed hope we have is the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then John says, well, we don't know what we're going to be. But what we know is that when we see him, we will see him as he is because we will be like him. So even as a young believer, not fully understanding scripture yet, something in me, the Holy Spirit, longs for that, hoping for that, waiting to see Jesus and see this hope produces something. Number one, it anchors our soul in truth. Well, what do you mean? Well, Hebrews 619, write it down. Hebrews 619 says this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence beyond the veil. In other words, this hope anchors us in truth and it causes us to stay close to the Lord and it causes us even to enter into his presence. The language there, the imagery there is that we can boldly be go beyond the veil into the holy of holies. Why? Because we are in Christ. In the Old Testament, the picture was always of, of, of uh, people being separated from God by sin, having no way to enter into his presence. So a, a priest, definition of a priest is a mediator. A priest would have to enter in once a year and sprinkle blood on behalf of the people. But when Jesus died on the cross, we know this and was resurrected. The, the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, exposing the holy place. No longer is there a mediator among men of men, but Christ is the mediator. That's why Paul says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself uh, his, his life as a ransom for us all. Amen? Amen. So we now have access into the holy place through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this hope we have anchors us there where he is, that, that our hearts and our minds are there and that we know one day we will see him. And so that type of hope causes us to see things in this world quite differently. I'm anchored in truth. So no matter what I see, it doesn't move me anymore. That's what real Christianity is about. Yes, listen, the reality is in the times that we live in, we're seeing weird things happen. And I believe that before the rapture happens, we're going to see more weird things. In fact, it might get quite difficult before we get out of here. There's going to be a persecution, that I think, that's going to begin to heat up. But no matter what I see on this side, my soul is anchored. 
and a living hope that will cause me to be unmoved because regardless of what happens down here, I absolutely know according to the scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in me and that is in you that I will see him face to face and I will have eternity with him. Now, number two, it aids in building endurance. Well, what do you mean? Well, Romans 8, 23 through 25 reads this way. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, that's what I'm hoping for. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance or endurance. And all this. So this hope gives me endurance because of the hope that the scripture gives me, the hope that the Holy Spirit in me is is is, is pushing me towards and and causing me to focus on the hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus and me having eternal life with him. Because of that, I have endurance to bear under the pressures and the weights of this life that I'm currently living in. You know, Christians, we stretch, we bend, but we don't break because we're being held together by a greater force. God allows us to go through things, but it's going to produce, as we're going to look at in a few minutes, something in us. Number three here, this hope furthers righteous living. First John chapter three, verse three says, and everyone who has this hope in himself or in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What is John talking about? The hope of seeing the Lord as he is face to face. And because I have that hope, it causes me to live righteously and because the reality is we believe, those of us who believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church, believe that the rapture is imminent, meaning as Jesus taught us, um, that we need to watch and be ready because we don't know the day or the hour in which our Lord is coming. So therefore, because I don't know the day or the hour in which my Lord is coming, but my hope is tied up in his coming and me seeing him, I, I want to live right today. Hey, if he can come in the next moment, I want to be ready for him. If I'm focused on that hope, it's, it's purifying me. It's causing me to cast off sin and the, the, the weight that so easily ensnares and run my race with endurance, looking for Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith. Jesus could show up at any moment. That's the reality. And because of that, that hope causes me to live pure. And so number one was it anchors our soul in truth. Number two, if you were taking notes, it builds endurance. And number three, it furthers righteous living. And so that that's the living hope that we're talking about. Let's move on. This hope, verse three, has been obtained to us, notice, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so crucial to our gospel. We don't have a gospel without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 describes the gospel as, as Jesus died, uh, was buried, and rose again. All components are necessary. Because if he didn't rise from the grave, then we have a dead Jesus. And if we have a dead Jesus, then we have no hope of eternity. Paul says, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we are, of all people on earth, the most pitiful of all. 
That means we are worse than the, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and everybody else included if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Therefore, his resurrection is a critical must in order for us to be able to live in this hope that we have. And we know he's been raised from the, 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 the grave. So the Bible says that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons and the daughters of God. I paraphrase. Y'all remember those verses, right? Romans chapter 8. In other words, I know because of the spirit that's in me that moves in me. And Christ has been risen. And if Christ is risen, the implications of that is that I am going to be raised because of the power of the resurrection, which we're going to celebrate in a few months in April. And it's through this resurrection from the dead that I now have this eternal life. And I love that. So it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Corinthians 15, 21 says, for since by one man came death. By one man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. I love that. So the resurrection is coming for all who believe. Amen. One day we will be gathered in the air in our resurrected bodies before the Lord. The rapture and the resurrection happen at the same time, it is the same event. Well, why do you say that? Well, the, when he descends, he brings the souls of those who have already died with him as he comes. But then it says the dead in Christ rise first. That's not a contradiction. What's happening? He's bringing their souls. He's resurrecting their bodies. Then those who are alive are caught up to meet him in the air. But he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, we must be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. You understand? Yeah. So as those are being caught up, they're being changed. By the time we gather in the cloud, we all resurrected. Yeah. I mean, we riding off already changed in glory. And then when we come back, riding back in with him, it's going to be amazing. There's something ahead, man. And that, 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 that hope in what's ahead of us is what drives us. So notice as we continue, not only do we have a blessed hope, we have a heavenly inheritance. Let's continue. Verse 4 says, to an inheritance. And it just keeps getting better. Like we could have stopped at verse 3 and said, man, that's it. I'm ready for the rapture. We can go. But then he adds to it, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that, that uh, it does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. I love this. And so with this, this hope, we have this heavenly inheritance. What does it mean? In a messianic usage, uh, one who receives an allotment, an allotted possession by right of sonship. Um, a share by lot is what the word actually means. And so what this means is that as a son or daughter of God, as each one of us this morning are you have received check it out a share in the eternal heavenly estate of God through Jesus Christ our Lord in fact the Bible tells us in Romans 8 16 through 17 it says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God if children then heirs heirs of God and it says and joint heirs with Jesus if indeed we suffer with him that we may be glorified with him. So joint heirs with Jesus, that's a big deal if you, if, if you really think about it. Wait a minute, because I ain't worthy of none of that. Right. I, don't, I don't even deserve, first of all, to be standing here, and let alone salvation, and then to be an heir, but not just an heir, a joint heir with the, the king of glory. How can that be? I mean, what is God doing in all of this? Um, but, but it's the case, you know, what, 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 so, so then this is the question I ask. Okay, if, I, if I'm joint heirs with the Lord Jesus, well, what's his inheritance? Well, Psalm chapter 2 
says that Jesus will inherit the earth and will establish his kingdom here. The Bible says also that we will reign with him. Second Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will deny us. In other words, we will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. He inherits the earth and establishes a kingdom and we will be heirs with him in that. Clothed in white, decorated and honored, and serving within his kingdom as his wife, the collective body of Christ. See, the thing is, it's hard for us to imagine the plans that Jesus has for us during his kingdom and in eternity. But the Bible is very clear, contrary to all other opinions, that we won't be like little Babies with harps floating around on clouds, but that the Lord actually has plans and assignments for us and we'll we'll be in resurrected bodies. We'll be out of this flesh the way we know it, no longer bearing under the weight of of temptation and of sin. And we'll be carrying out the Lord's assignment for all eternity, doing the things that he's called us to do. And it's going to be amazing. So we have this inheritance that we can't begin to imagine because it's, it's too much. Um, I has not seen nor has ear heard. Paul says it's unlawful to, to, to repeat the things I've heard. We can't even get our minds around it. Our human fallen mind cannot fathom what God has planned for us. It's out of this world. It's an inheritance. And notice what it says here. Incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. Spurgeon said it is also called a living hope because it is imperishable. Other hopes fade like withering flowers, the hope of the rich, the boast of the proud, all these will die out as a candle when it flickers in the socket. The hope of the greatest monarch has been crushed before our eyes. He sets up the standard of victory too soon and has seen it trailed in the mire. There is no unwaning hope beneath the changeful moon. The only imperishable hope is that which climbs above the stars and fixes, fixes itself upon the throne of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this incorruptible hope that does not uh, fade away is what's been laid up for us. And the beautiful thing about this, as Spurgeon so eloquently said, everything that we have down here does fade. It tarnishes it molds, it corrupts, and, and, and you know, I look at this world and, and everything decays and deteriorates, even our bodies. <laughs> and down here, it's just, it's all temporary. It's all something to enjoy for a moment. But there's something that is eternal that's laid up for us that cannot fade, will not be taken away. It's always going to be there does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. I love this. It's something that is ahead of me that no one can take away. And that's what we live for. It causes us to put a different perspective on everything that we endure and that we deal with down here. God has some plans for us that are out of this world. Last point. The eternal security in verses 5 through 9. Notice it says, that, that this is reserved in heaven for you, meaning you who are a believer. Notice it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. So this inheritance that cannot fade away is reserved in heaven for you. But you 
believer are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. I love this. This word to be kept is interesting in the Greek because it actually means to protect by military guard. I like that. Um, so it, it's either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. In other words, it's military guard, which is to protect, protect against an incoming army invading or to prevent um, the inhabitants from being of the city from fleeing. And so it, it's a military guard. It's a it's a spiritual protection. I love that. It's it's we are being protected. We are being secured. We are, if you will, under the divine protection of the armies of God. You know, the Bible says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to uh, minister on behalf of those who will inherit salvation. That is us. So God's angels have been assigned to keep us, to protect us. And and I love this. I mean, this makes me feel good. I am under protective guard. I mean, I can go anywhere on this planet. This planet belongs to my God. Amen. My father owns all of it. So I can go anywhere and do whatever he's called me to do. And I have a divine protection around me. But it also tells me that I need to stay up under that divine protection. Um, so I need to keep myself from sin. I need to stay close to him. I need to walk with him so I don't open the door for, for myself to be harmed. But anytime I go somewhere, I go to a new city, driving into Elizabeth City. Hey, I don't know the lay of the land so much. And so, Lord, I'm here on assignment by you. Cover me. And he does that kind of stuff. We are literally protected by, des uh, by divine power of God. Notice in verse five, who are kept by, notice the power of God through faith. This word power is a word that we're familiar with. It's the word dunamis. It's the same word that uh, Jesus used back in Acts chapter one, verse eight, when he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so literally it's the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are kept by the power of God. Isn't that good news? Amen. I am kept. I am protected. I am guarded by the very power of God himself. Pastor John, for those of you in Elizabeth City, he's been teaching you through Ephesians chapter 1. When you heard the gospel of your, your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing of the Holy Spirit put all spiritual entities, fallen angels, demons on notice that you are off limits to all of their activities because you belong to the King of glory. Amen. Amen. And if you stay up under his protection, then you are secure. You are a child of God. God's power is a garrison in which we find our security, one commentator said. And so this is good for us to know. So we are being kept. We are being secured. We are being protected by God. Notice it's for salvation. And it's for this eternal promise that we have. Many Christians do not realize or know this power, Spurgeon said, or they only know it from a distance. But God wants resurrection life to be real in the life of the believer. The very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness, to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness, to raise the Sadducee from his unbelief, to raise you this morning from your sin or from your depression or from, from your doubt or from whatever you're suffering from that prevents you from experiencing the power of God in your life. Um, since my wife went home to be with the Lord, I find myself uh, spending way more time with the Lord and, you know, that my, my faith, my confidence in Him, my, my awareness of His closeness to me 
is more and more. And so prayer life is a continual thing. So my daughter sometimes now she will start eating and she'll say, Dad, did you did you pray? Did you did you bless the food? Um, and I looked at her one day and I said to her, I can't remember when I wasn't praying. <laughs> it's a constant conversation. So but for her sake, I stop and I pray out loud so she can know I bless the food. <laughs> no, it's 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 this this thing now where the power of God is is always there for us. But we have to learn how to tap into the resurrection power of Christ by listen, treating him like a, 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 a risen Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father interceding for me and interceding for you. If that's where he's at and if that's what he's doing, then that means right now, every moment, every day, he cares about what's going on with you. You need to turn around and, and talk to him. You need to be carrying on a conversation with him. You need to say, Lord, I need you right now in this moment. Yeah. I always tell the people in Clayton, we have to be like Nehemiah when we pray. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah was standing before the king and the king asked him a question. The Bible says Nehemiah prayed. But it didn't say he left the room and went and got on his knees down the hall in the conference room and prayed. He had to stand there before the king and inside he's praying to the father for what's going on in his life at that very moment. And this is what we need to know and understand. The very power of God, which is keeping us, I lost my track. Um, yeah, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in these last times. I need to pick up my pace. Um, it's very important that we know and that we understand this because God wants to work in our lives. I'm going to move forward. And verse six says, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials. How many of you have been grieved with various trials throughout your Christian life? Yeah, if need be, you've been grieved with various trials. In other words, as believers, we're going to go through trials. When we get saved, we don't escape the trials of this life, do we? No, we go through trials. We see trials. So he says in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials. We greatly rejoice even in the trials that we go through. Absolutely. Because of the living hope we have. So because of that hope, I can face a trial. And the trials I have faced, and I want you to raise your hand if you agree with this, the trials that I have faced since walking with the Lord and, 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 and letting him bring me through those trials, I wouldn't trade any of them in because of what it produced in me. Anybody agree with me with that? So that's the testimony of the Christian because there's something about that we're about to see in a moment. What does that do? So if need be you've been grieved with various trials, notice this. He says that the genuineness of your faith. Do you notice that? That the genuineness of your faith. Now, when you think about the word genuineness, the interesting thing is it speaks of, it speaks of something that is authentic. Um, years ago, I don't know why I go back to this, I was a college student with no money, and um, this lady was selling these coach bags. <laughs> And I thought that would be a good Christmas gift for, for my mother, you know. But I'm like, man, that price just is really, that doesn't seem to, to be right, you know. And there was a lady there who knew her bags and she could tell that they were fake. You know, but I couldn't tell. It was a leather bag. I didn't know the difference between a coach bag and any other bag, you know. But, but there are things, you know, there are fake things upon the earth. Y'all understand what I'm saying. There are things that are just not real at times. But this says the genuineness, the realness of your faith. In, in other words, the trials that you endure produce a faith in you that is actually authentic. It's not just you talking about faith, 
or you believe and, and all. But when you go through something and Jesus shows up in the midst of what you're going through and he works in a powerful way to bring you through it. Oh, and that's a real faith. Would you say amen? Oh, yeah. That's a faith that nobody can take that from you then, because then when the next trial shows up, you're saying, well, look, I already know the power of God. Right. And he kept me through that one. He'll keep me through this one. And that's what it's getting at. The, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious, notice, than gold that perishes. That's a big deal that Peter just mentioned. Gold that perishes. We think of gold as being something almost imperishable down here. Gold is important. Um, everybody loves gold. But do you know how we get the gold that we, we wear? They mine it out of the dirt. And it doesn't even really look like gold half the time because it's got all this other junk connected to it. So in order to make it pure gold, they have to put it in a tent, intense heat. I mean, very intense heat. They burn and melt. And what's happening as it goes through that heat is, and, and it's like red hot is that all the impurities, all the other stuff is burning off and rising to the top as, as, as junk. And it kind of eventually is like ash and it blows off and they keep burning it until literally it's, it's pure gold to the point you can almost see a reflection in it. And so it's put under that intense heat. And so he says being much more precious than gold that perishes. Notice that. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the trials that we go through as believers is like the testing of the fire that gold is put in to, to purify it. Many say that Jesus is using the trials to shape us and mold us and to purify us to, until he can almost see his own reflection in that goal or in our lives, if you will. And I can say amen to that because everything that Jesus has put me through and allowed me to go through and that he's been there with me and worked through me, you know, it's always sweeter on the other side because not because you got out of it, not because you made it through it so much. That's good. But it's because you found him and you had a greater level of intimacy with him in the midst of it. Christians are so weird. That, no, here's what I mean. I can actually find comfort remembering times when I was in a trial. When my wife and I um, lost a child, and I was like, I was in, husbands, you can relate to this. I was in protective, take care of my wife mode. So I'm tending to things, I'm talking to doctors, I'm doing everything, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I, I'm just looking out to her. And then when it was all said and done, um, her mom was at the hospital and everything was calmed down. And I remember taking a shower for the first time in probably two and a half days at that point. And in the shower, I began to talk to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit overwhelmed me so much in that, in that moment that he just like grabbed me and held me. And so I can always remember that moment because when he shows up in a trial, and he's right there holding you. You know he's real. People can talk about faith all day long. But faith is when the Lord shows up and keeps you. And he teaches you how to be strong in him when things are happening. So when it says that the genuineness for your faith being much more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think what's going to happen is when we finally see him, because we've never seen him. We've never laid eyes on Jesus. 
But I, I get this sense that when I see him, it's going to be like, I already know you, so let me just grab a hold of you. Like, I already know who you are. I already know your voice. I already know what it's like to be near you. I already know who you are. And so when we see him, it's just going to be the biggest family reunion in the clouds that you can ever imagine. And so he says this in verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. And see, this is what God is doing. And, and I didn't read verse 10, but we're going to have to go into it in a minute. So let me, let me just read now. Whom having not seen, you, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. I love this. The end of our faith with the salvation of our souls. And notice he says, in this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what and what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that we would, would follow after. This is where I want to go. To them, it was revealed that not only to themselves, but to us, not to themselves, excuse me, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit since, uh, sent from heaven. And this is where I wanted to get to things which the angels desire to look into. I wanted to get all the way down to that because the angels are watching us and the angels are blown away at what we have. So you got to understand the angels can't get saved. They reject the fallen angels have rejected him and followed Satan and they have fallen and there is no redemption for them. Why is there no redemption for them? Because they've been in the throne room of heaven. They've seen everything that the creator has done from from way back to now. And so they've seen all of that and they turn away from it. The other extreme of that is we haven't seen anything. Yet this gospel message that we've heard has produced this faith in us that will cause us to go through the most horrendous things that you could ever imagine holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you read Christians who were fed the lions and stretched at the rack and burned at the stake and took bullets in the head, but refusing in all of that pain to denounce the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they haven't even seen. Man, what is God doing in us? It's something. Remember what it says, Pastor John, back in Ephesians 3, that uh, through the manifold wisdom of God, he has has, uh, made his wisdom known to the angelic host through how he works in the church. Can you even imagine that? Whoa. So they're watching us and they're looking at how we walk by faith, having not actually seen the Lord. It is an amazing thing uh, that happens in us. And yet we can we can barely understand it ourselves, can barely understand it ourselves. But I know he's real. I know he's real. That's what he's done to me. I know who, that he's real. I know he's alive. I know he has plans. I know when this is over, I will see him. How do we understand those things? Because he's building a faith in us. He's purifying us through everything that we deal with down here. And he is making a masterpiece in each one of us. <laughs> one day, he will look at you. And behold his masterpiece face to face, what he's accomplished, what he's done. And therefore, you don't have to run for trials. You don't have to be afraid of trials. Um, You can bear up under everything because he's not going to put you in something that you can't endure. And and, and with it, he's going to be there to guide you through it and to hold you up in the midst of it. And when we finally get there, 
we'll all tell our testimony of how we got there through Christ together. Amen? Amen. This is one of the reasons why eternity is going to be so great. We won't have envy or strife or anything like that anymore. We'll see him. We'll fall flat and worship. And when we finally get back to our feet, we'll just, we'll just talk about how amazing he is, you know, for all eternity. Then we'll go out and do the things that he's called us to do in the, in the millennium and in the kingdom. Um, the Lord loves you. He's doing something in you. And I would simply say this. Embrace what Jesus is doing. Whatever. I mean, maybe you are in the midst of a trial now. In fact, won't you bow your heads? I imagine I went way over time, but they didn't put a clock up for me, so it's not my fault. <laughs> um, but bow your heads, please, if you don't mind. Because if you're in a trial right now, you are in a good place. Please bow your heads right now. But if you are in one, I want you to just wave at me if you're currently in a trial. Oh, my goodness. See? Look at that. A lot of you are in trials right now. Oh, my Lord. You're in a perfect place. Because it's painful. Because it hurts. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're not sure. You just don't know what it's going to be and how you're going to get on the other side of it. And it just hurts. Yeah, it hurts. But you're right where he needs you to be. There are people watching you. There are family members watching you. They see it too. But I promise you that if you cling to him in the midst of this trial you're in, if you say, Jesus, I don't even have strength to come to you. Give me strength. And you cling to him. I, I guarantee you that he will show up in a way that you didn't expect. He will walk you through it in a way that you just didn't know he could. And when he's finally done with you, you will be a stronger believer. Your faith will be stronger in him. And your relationship with him will be even closer. And so I want to pray for you now. Father, I thank you for those who have come today, Lord, who would admit that they're in the middle of a trial and a difficult time. And Lord, in the midst of that, you're purifying them and you're building a faith. You're building a testimony. You're building a story, Lord God, that's eternal. And so I want to pray for them, Lord. I want to pray your comfort upon them, Lord. But I pray that you would teach them. Teach them how to turn to you. Teach them how to trust in you. I pray that you would protect them and surround them, Lord God, with a hedge of protection, Lord, that the enemy would not be able to get in and disrupt or anything of that sort, Lord, and that they would get all uh, out of this trial that you intend for them to get. And Lord, I know, I know by faith, I know by experience, I know by trust in you that you have an amazing plan for them on the other side. I pray that they would get a sense of that today. Lord God, and that it, just a sense of that would be enough, Lord, to cause them to stand at their feet and be able to praise you in the midst of it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are and all that you're doing. Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. Come, Lord Jesus. But until then, give us the strength. Give us the endurance. Give us the ability to, to continue this race in you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.